The following message is by Sam Kim, elder at Creekside Bible Church, located in Cupertino, California. So today we have a challenging message from Revelation chapter 2. You heard uh, Elder Peter talk through it. I've been meditating on this for uh, several weeks, and I have to tell you, it's, uh, it's a challenging message for us. Uh, it's, we're talking about the persecuted church. And uh, I have to admit, I, I don't know if I'm worthy or capable to speak about this, because although I've had tribulations and challenges in my life, I, I, I can't say that I've really dealt with persecution. And I hope that most of you in, in uh, attendance today have not had to deal with it. Now, as we study the Word of God, we've we got to make sure that we read the complete Word of God. I think sometimes the temptation is, okay, I'm just going to read the parts I like. I want to read the parts that are encouraging to me, and I'll stick with those things. But the difficult passages, I, I think I'll just skip those and move on. And that, that's, a, that's a bad place to be, because we need the entire counsel of God. Amen? Yes, we do. So we, we have an uh, opportunity to cover some sacred ground today. This is not stuff that we can make light of or make funny. Uh, it's pretty serious stuff. And I think this is for adults. This is for uh, big people, mature people. This is not for children. And so it is something that... Uh, that we all need to hear this morning. And uh, for some of you that came up to me and said that you were praying for me, thank you. I've uh, definitely felt God's presence that I've, as I've studied these sacred scriptures. So uh, I don't know if we have the slides up and running. I prepared some. I thought it'd be good to just talk about the uh, island of Patmos a little bit. Are you guys able to get the slides up? Can we get the next slide? Sorry, we're having some technical challenges. Okay, so here, uh, one thing I want to begin with is that what sets the Bible apart from almost every other religious, uh, uh, other religions, is that it's based on real people, real places, real situations. The Isle of Patmos is a real place. And I, I was blessed to be able to go there with Lily. And uh, I took these pictures on top. So you can see they have, uh, this is the Greek. For those of you Greek students, you can uh, impress with your pronunciation. I choose to go on the English part. Cave of the <laughs> Apocalypsis. So that's a real sign on Patmos. And this is a picture of, uh, of John and, uh, the, that an artist rendered. This is what the island of Patmos looks like today. I think it's probably very similar to what it looked like in the time of John. The difference is you don't have these expensive sailboats. Uh, John didn't see that. He had uh, nice Roman guards hanging out with him, and he was probably chained. As I explained to you at one point, uh, 
the Isle of Patmos, it's, it's, it's kind of a resort today, uh, but it wasn't back then. It was, it was kind of like Alcatraz, um, only not as nice as Alcatraz. They have a bunch of rocks, and they probably had John, even though he was elderly, breaking rocks. It was not a fun place for him to be. Now, it, the, on the lower right is actually what they believe is the cave where the Apostle John stayed. What I can tell you is that there wasn't all this stuff. Okay, so one thing that's a little bit annoying about uh, visiting the Holy Lands and places where a lot of things happen is that well-meaning churches have come and they've put gold everywhere and they've They've turned it into something that's unrecognizable. I think it would have been best to just leave it as is so that we could recognize that John was not in a great place. And so uh, it's a reminder that we're talking about a real man, a real man of God, suffering for uh, being a believer and for preaching the word. Uh, at this time, in uh, around 80, 90 there was a rampant persecution. This was not a fun time. John was the last of the apostles, and he's probably very aged at this point, maybe in his 80s or 90s. And he's in jail. He's probably, at some point, being a human being, is wondering, is this all going to work out? I mean, I'm the last of the apostles. All the churches that were planted by the apostle Paul uh, Peter, and even the Apostle John. They're all under persecution. And it's looking like Christianity could die. I mean, it is a, I want you to understand this was a very dire situation. And if you looked at it from human eyes, you'd say, I just don't know if Christianity is going to make it. You know, was this all for naught? All the visions of Christ's resurrection, uh, there was, this was, uh, you know, 50 plus years ago. And so John must have been in a challenging place. But in the, in the dark pit of being in a penal colony, God gave the Apostle John an unbelievable revelation. And in giving him that revelation, he gave that to us. Can you imagine what the, what the Word of God would look like without the book of Revelation? We would be missing a huge and very, very important chunk of information that we need, that we're going to need. And so uh, it's a blessing. And if you can go to the next slide, I wanted to just set a context. So here's the island of Patmos. It's, it's out there. Uh, here's where Jerusalem is, where Israel is. Nazareth, Jesus of Nazareth. So this is where, uh, where Jesus walked and he lived. And here are the seven churches in Revelation. Why Asia Minor? I mean, it's modern-day Turkey. Why the letter to these seven churches in Turkey. And this is actually the postal route. So, you know, uh, if you had a letter, you'd have couriers go from Ephesus to Smyrna, 
to, I believe, Pergamum, Thyatira, Sardis, Philadelphia, Laodicea. So it, it, it was, it was uh, real cities in, in a real time. And so I think that's important, because when we're talking about the Word of God, we're talking about history. We're talking about real people, real situations. Uh, and the Lord has a very specific word for each of the churches. And I believe that he has a word for Creekside Bible Church this morning. And so for him who has ears this morning, I, I pray that you will pay attention because I believe that the word, the risen Christ, has a word for us this morning. And so uh, give you a context of where Smyrna is. Okay, so if you go to the next slide, this is modern-day Izmir, and uh, Izmir is the third largest city in Turkey today. There's a population of 2.5 million people. Of the seven churches that John wrote to, none of them exist today except for Smyrna. That's kind of interesting, isn't it? That... Uh, in that day, the three leading cities were Ephesus, Smyrna, and Pergamum. They were the three leading cities in Asia Minor. And, and then the other were smaller cities, but the only one that exists today, surprisingly, and uh, obviously it's because uh, God ordained it to be that way, the only one that exists today is Smyrna, and it's part of uh, Izmir. So you can visit it today. A couple things. It's 40 miles northwest of Ephesus, and it was in a powerful trading position on the Aegean Sea known for its harbors and commerce. So uh, all this by way of background to help you understand the context of, of the city and who John is writing to. So it was a, it was a very modern place, there, part of these ruins, that there was a, a three-story, believe it or not, a three-story marketplace. So it was like one of the original malls. So you think the malls we have in the U.S., they, they started from somewhere. And so this is a three-story mall. You think about the technology required to build a three-story mall. The other thing that was interesting is that they had underground sanitation. I mean, that's pretty impressive for an ancient city. So they were pretty rich. Uh, they had technology. They were powerful. They were pretty modern. Uh, important details for us to know as we approach the Word of God this morning. So by the way, Smyrna is the same word for myrrh. Anyone hear the word myrrh? Yeah. When the Christ was born, they brought frankincense and myrrh. Gold, frankincense, and myrrh. So um, I, I didn't get a chance to fully understand the connection between Smyrna and myrrh, but I believe that uh, Smyrna was one of the places that developed myrrh. Um, and it is a valuable fragrance interestingly used in the embalming and pres preservation of dead bodies. So the, believe the believers of Smyrna would become a fragrant offering before holy God in the midst of persecution. So 
want you to see these are all ties that are not insignificant, but we've got to pay attention to understand these things. Another important detail about Smyrna was they actually had an amphitheater that held 20,000 people. That's pretty, pretty amazing. You think Smyrna, you know, it's probably some little city you never heard of. They, even in ancient times, they had an amphitheater that could hold 20,000 people. So you're getting an idea of what this, uh, what the city was like in that day. Uh, interestingly as well, they had a chief idol. You know, they were, it was a very idolatrous time. Their chief idol was Dionysus of Smyrna. And it's interesting as well because uh, Dionysus was reputed to have been killed and he came back to life. So it's interesting, that is a false story, a made-up story, but in the context of this, the, the risen Lord Jesus speaks to this group of people in Smyrna and he's speaking to us this morning. Another important detail about uh, the city of Smyrna is that they were proponents of the Roman imperial cult, meaning they worshiped the emperor. And it's interesting uh, that, and this is partly why they face severe persecution, is that um, they were into the imperial cult and uh, They've, you know, you know how they compete for the Olympic Games today? Well, back then, they were one of 10 cities that competed to build a temp temple for the Emperor Tiberius, and they won that competition. So you can guess that they were looked upon favor favorably by the, the Roman Empire. Uh, another important detail is that they had a very powerful and politically influential Jewish community. You, you have to understand that uh, the Jews were rich, they were high in number, and they were politically well-connected. So even though they had an uh, imperial cult, they had a valuable exemption from the Roman government that allowed them to worship freely. I mean, think about how powerful that would be. They would be exempt from having to worship the emperor because they were an authorized religion and they could worship Yahweh. And, and it was understood that they wouldn't have to bow down to the emperor. So that's a pretty powerful thing. Uh, to have. And it's important to understand because in the early days of Christianity, Christianity was viewed as a sect of, of uh, the Jewish religion. And so Christians initially enjoyed the benefits of being a Jewish sect. And so they were exempt from having to do things like the worship of the emperor. However, that would change because Increasingly, the Jews would become hostile. They would become hostile to uh, the Christians. And in fact, in, in um, Smyrna, in AD, 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 that's hard to say, AD or 80 AD, uh, the Jews excommunicated Christians from Judaism in Smyrna. 
Okay, so they said it was officially communicated to the Romans, Roman Empire that Christianity has nothing to do with the Jewish religion, meaning they are no longer a legitimate religion and they should be persecuted to the full extent of the law. So you can imagine the impact to Christians for something like that. So uh, it is uh, amazing that this is the only uh, city of the seven that still exists today. It's inside the modern city of Izmir in Turkey. So now we'll be, we will begin uh, looking into the text. Okay, so if you go to the next slide, um, it, it's, it's kind of interesting that the letter to the church in Smyrna is by far the shortest of the letters. If you do a word count, it's only 134 words altogether. The longest letter is to the church in Thyatira, which is 296 words. So if words matter, uh, I would say read Thyatira and you'll find that more words is not necessarily a good thing. Okay? So uh, it is the shortest. It's only three verses in the Word of God. You can read it in less than a minute. So it's, it's very brief. But as I told you, there is a sacred and important message for believers for all time since that time, starting with the group of believers in Smyrna. Uh, though this letter is extremely brief, it is powerful in its implications and its significance. And I hope today that uh, we'll get a chance uh, that I can communicate effectively uh, to you this message. So. You heard in the opening chapters of uh, chapter one of Revelation, all the names of Christ. And, I mean, you think about the importance of names and every name given to the Lord Jesus describes an element of his character. And in each of the letters to the churches, there is a specific mention to a particular characteristic of the Lord Jesus Christ. And two of them are defined here in the letter to the church in Smyrna. The first is the words of the first and the last. I mean, you, this is stuff that you've got to take your time and ponder the meaning of these things. And you just skip through it. Yeah, he's, the first, he's the, the first and the last. Well, what does that mean? Is that anything important? I'll tell you, it's very significant. It means he is God. Who can be the first and the last except God? He is the Alpha and the Omega. He encompasses all things. This is, a, this, this is the word to the church in Smyrna that's going through persecution. These are the words of the first and the last. This is very God, holy God, speaking to you. It refers, by the way, to Christ's deity. Because Christ cannot be the first and the last if he's not God. So this is definitely a claim to deity. By the way, the folks of Smyrna, they love to refer to themselves as the first city among Asia. 
So when they were competing against Ephesus and Pergamum, they'd say, you guys are nice cities, but we're the, we're the first. And the risen Christ says, that doesn't mean anything because I am the first. I am not only the first, but I'm the last, and I encompass everything in between. And we know uh, from John, right? He wrote the Gospel of John. And how did he begin the the Gospel of John? In the beginning was the Word. The Word was with God. The Word was God. So when he says, I am the first and the last, he is saying, I am God. And you need to listen to me. Where does this come from? By the way, there's, there's remarkable consistency between the Old Testament and the New Testament. If you look at uh, just, just one verse of many, Isaiah 44, 6, it says, Thus says the Lord, the King of Israel and his Redeemer, the Lord of hosts, I am the first and I am the last. Besides me, there is no God. This is God Almighty. Jesus is God Almighty. He and the Father are one. And so, if God is speaking, should you be listening? Absolutely. We should be listening to what he has to say to us. This also means, by the way, that he is sovereign. He is sovereign over history, the past. He is sovereign over the present, today, right now. And he is sovereign into the future. And everything in the book of Revelation, and most of it is directed towards the future, it's going to happen. It's guaranteed, because this is from the very word of God. The second title is just as important. It says, who died and came to life. Who died and came to life. This is the the mystery of Christ, isn't it? How can God die? He was fully man. He was fully God, fully man. you got to go back to the Gospels. But he died. There's no question. He's being very clear. This is the Christ, Jesus of Nazareth, Nazareth, who lived a perfect life, and he died, was killed, shed his blood, that we might be saved, and was resurrected. Who can be resurrected except God? And so he is the, he is, he is the Savior. Not only is he God, he is the Savior of the world. Do we need to hear what he has to say to us? We need to hear that. And Paul, uh, Paul said in Colossians 1.15, He, referring to Jesus, is the image of the invisible God, the firstborn of creation. In verse 18, he is the beginning, the firstborn from the dead. He's the firstborn of creation. He's the firstborn of the dead. And you know what? That is what gives believers hope. Because if he was not resurrected, we have no hope. So therein lies the significance of the name of Jesus. I mean, you you could read over that in five seconds. But there's power in the meaning of this, uh, this attribute of the Lord Jesus. He is the first and last. He is God. 
And he is the one who died and came to life. He was resurrected. He is the Savior. And therefore, we should listen to him. The next, if you go to the next slide, uh, Christ gives his assessment of Smyrna. I think what's powerful here is that King Jesus says, I know, I know you. As you sit there, do you know that the sovereign king of heaven and earth, he knows who you are? He knows your name. Sounds like a great song. He knows your name. You might not feel significant. You might not feel very important. And you know what? Maybe from our point of view on the horizontal level, maybe you're not that significant. But if the King of kings and the Lord of lords knows you, you are significant. Not because anything you've done or I've done, because who he is. So whenever you feel like you're nothing, take a time out and consider that Jesus Christ, the Son of God, the first and the last, the one who died and was resurrected, he knows who you are. If that doesn't make you feel better, I don't know what will. I know. He's not generic. He's very specific. Because he knows. You know how, you know, you, you greet politicians and they're like, oh, I love you. You're, you're wonderful. And you go, you don't know me from Adam. I'm your best friend. I really like you. Please vote for me. This is the Son of God. You think he'd have other things on his mind? He takes the time to know our situation and he says just three things. I know your tribulation. I know your poverty. And I know your slander that you're enduring from false Jews. I can bet that the folks of Smyrna didn't know that. Can you imagine that? That they're going through tribulation, they're going through poverty, they're subjected to slander, and they're wondering, where is God in all this? Lord, where are you? I'm dying down here. We're being attacked. This is unjust. This is not right. And all he says, and it's, it's powerful, I know. I know exactly where you're at. I look out at this audience. I don't know where you're all at. I can guess. Some of you look happy. Some of you look tired. Some of you look excited. Some of you are, were about to fall asleep until I started looking at you. <laughs> I don't know your heart. I'm just a man. But the Lord Jesus knows exactly where you're at this morning. It's a powerful, powerful thing. 
So this is a challenging message. Isn't there anything good to say? Okay, let's talk about tribulation, poverty, and slander. Are you inspired? Well, what should be inspiring is that if you're going through any of those things, the Lord Jesus knows. He knows. And not only does he know, but he cares. He cares. And so he takes the time to say, I know your tribulation. I know your poverty. I know your slander that you're enduring. I know exactly what you're going through. Let's talk a minute about uh, tribulation. It's kind of interesting, right? Because revelation is about tribulation. And so in a way, the Lord Jesus is saying, you think you got tribulation? There is tribulation coming on this earth. Go read the rest of Revelation. It's coming. For certain, tribulation is coming. But you know what? Each of us in this room, we're going through our own trials, are we not? If you're not, hold on a little bit. It'll come. You will go through tribulation in this life because it's a broken, sinful world that we live in. But he knows. And he cares what you're going through. He cares what I'm going through. Let's talk about poverty. Poverty is an interesting concept, right? Because if you go to the Old Testament, generally... If you are blessed of God, you, you're rich financially. And it's very easy for us to say, oh, you're, you're, you're enduring poverty because you're lazy. You, you don't work hard. You're not diligent. That's not the view of the Lord Jesus because he doesn't rebuke them for being poor. Why is that? Why were they poor? Because they were attacked by the Jewish community. So religiously, they were persecuted. Politically, they were attacked by the Romans. They get fired from their job. You're a Christian? Get out of here. You're fired. Wait, I, I, I was a good worker. I don't care. You're a Christian. Get out, of, get out of my place of work. That's why they were poor. Oh, you're a Christian? We're going to take your stuff. And what are you going to do about it? They were poor because they were Christian. And so the Lord Jesus doesn't rebuke them for being poor. Now, if you're poor because you're lazy, that's your problem. It really is. But if you're poor because you're standing up for Christ, then blessed are you. Blessed are you. We can't look at things with worldly eyes. We have to care about the, what the Lord Jesus thinks. How many of you get trapped by what other people think? 
You know what? Their opinions don't ultimately matter in the grand scheme of things. The only opinion that matters is what the Lord Jesus thinks of you. And if, if he says you're doing well, then you're doing well. If the world says you're doing great and he says you're doing poorly, you're in big, big trouble. So these people were poor. Uh, in the Old Testament, God says, I am the defender of the poor, the fatherless, and the widow. That's a pretty powerful statement because these, they were the most vulnerable. If you were an orphan or you were a widow, you had no protection. But God demanded of Israel that they take care of the fatherless and the widow. Shouldn't we do the same? But, you know, flash, uh, flash forward to the New Testament and Jesus said in the Sermon on the Mount in Matthew 5.3, Blessed are the poor in spirit, for theirs is the kingdom of God. Blessed are those who mourn, for they will be comforted. So when you feel poor in this world, God says, that's okay, because you're actually rich. So maybe the last one is the hardest of all. Have, have any, any of you had to deal with slander? I mean, mean, bad things said about you that are not even true, that could cause you, cause you to lose your job, to have your reputation destroyed. But this is what they were uh, subjected to. They, ha they were slandered, not by like poor people or people with no influence, but by powerful Jewish people who, had, who were well-connected politically, who could cause you to lose your job or get thrown into prison. These were, these were powerfully influential Jewish people, and they could have Christians thrown into jail just because they didn't like you, or just because you're a Christian. They may not even know you, but they had to deal with slander. And it's actually quite amazing what the Lord Jesus said about these people. He says, these people say they're Jews, but they are not. So think about that. They were Jews by birth. But what was the thing that they, that they were so proud of? That they were Jews, meaning they were God's people. So when Jesus says they are not, he's saying they may be Jews by genetics, but they are not my people. Think about what that, what that means. I mean, this is like when, when uh, Jesus was confronted by the Pharisees and the religious leaders. And, uh, you know, remember Jesus said, uh, before Abraham, I am, meaning that he was God before Abraham. And what did they do? They picked up stones to kill him right there. And what did Jesus say about them? He said, your father's not Abraham, because if your father was Abraham, you would worship me. 
Rather, your father is the devil. Wow. You mean you could you could be Jewish by birth? And you could be worshiping the devil? In fact, he says it right here. They are of the synagogue of Satan. This is the words of the Lord Jesus, the first and the last. He said they are a synagogue of Satan. Let's apply that to us in this room today. Are you a believer because you come to Creekside Bible Church? Coming to church doesn't mean anything. The only question is, what is the condition of your heart? Do you love the Lord Jesus? It will be tested, I guarantee you. Your love for Jesus is going to be tested. This is not a popular message for today. People don't want to hear about tribulation, poverty, and slander. But this is, this is a reality, and this is starting to happen in this country. Don't have your head in the sand. This world is, even in this great country, a time could very well come where we will be persecuted because we call on the name of the Lord Jesus. But what does the Lord say? The world says you are poor, but I say you are rich. Well, Lord, I don't feel very rich. My pockets are kind of empty. I don't have enough food for enough money to buy food. If you know God, you are rich. If you don't know God, you are destitute and poor. That is the word of God and the observation of the Lord Jesus. So we're going to transition next to Christ's command to the church in Smyrna. So he starts with, I know, I know you're going through tribulation. I know you're going through poverty. I know you're being slandered by people who are not even my people. They are actually of the synagogue of Satan. Okay, good. We're going to get, we're going to get a remedy. We're going to get an answer. We're going to get the solution to our problems. And what does the Lord say? He gives two commands. He says, do not fear. Be faithful unto death. Oh, time out. Can you, can you like, uh, give me some relief, Lord, from the poverty? Like, could you help me get the winning lottery ticket? That would be awesome. Can I get that? Uh, no. What, what's important for us to hear here is that 
One, there is no call for repentance. Hang on, read. We're going to read through the rest of the letters to the churches, and there's a bunch of calls. You better repent, or the Lord Jesus is going to remove your light stand. You better repent, or you're going to remove that light stand, meaning that church will not exist anymore. That's a pretty sobering thought. There's only two churches where they weren't called to repent, and one is Smyrna and the other is Philadelphia, and both churches were subject to persecution. What I also want you to see here, God never explains why. Isn't that what we always like to ask? I mean, five-year-olds love to say that. Why do I have to clean my room? Why? Why do I have to go to church? Why do I have to eat my vegetables? Why do I have to go through persecution? Why do I have to go through poverty? Why do I have to be subject to slander? Why do I have to deal with injustice? And the Lord Jesus says nothing. He doesn't answer our question about why. Isn't that like Job? Read the book of Job. It's not fair because we, when we're reading the book of Job, we know what's happening. We know there's a conversation in heaven between God and Satan, and, and, but Job doesn't know. And you read through the entire book of Job, God never explains to Job why he had to go through what he went through. But he never abandoned Job. And so God never explains why we have to go through the difficulties we have to go through. He just says, do not fear what you're about to suffer. I wish that last part was removed. Do not fear. Great. Stop. Exclamation point. No, he says, do not fear what you're about to suffer. In other words, you're going to suffer. It's imminent, and it's certain that it's going to happen. But Lord, don't you care? Yeah, he, he cares. But always, he takes us through the trials. We always pray for relief, right? Lord, remove this trial. I'll serve you so much better if you would just remove this trial out of my life. Even if you're the Apostle Paul, and you pray three times, Lord, remove this thorn in my flesh. And what does the Lord say? Sorry, Paul. My grace is sufficient for you. For my power is made perfect in strength, no in weakness. Do you feel weak this morning? There's hope for you. Do you feel strong? Look out. You're about to do a face plant very soon. But if you feel weak, if you feel vulnerable, if you feel like you need help, you're exactly where God wants you to be. He says, do not fear what you're about to suffer. 
And then he gets very specific. Some of you are going to get thrown into prison. Uh, you guys can do the study. Roman prisons were not like prisons in the U.S. In the U.S., you have three square meals. You can watch TV. You can work out. Uh, prisoners have rights in this country. You think prisoners in Rome had any rights? No, it was not a good place. But it's kind of interesting because God says this is part of a test. Wait a minute, Lord, you're in on this? Like, you're actually, you're, you're causing me to go through this? Yes, he is. So whatever trial you may be facing, whatever difficulty, whatever disappointment, whatever frustration, this is part of God's test. Isn't that a different perspective when you realize that whatever difficulty you may be going through is part of God's sovereign will and test for you? Because he wants us, like James said, rejoice when trials come your way. Why? Because of the testing of your faith develops perseverance. And he wants us to be complete and mature, not lacking anything. And how does that come? Through tribulation, through trials, through difficulties, through disappointment, not getting our ways. This is a tough message, but this is consistent with the word of God. He says it will be short. Ten days. Now, I, I don't know if this is a literal ten days or if this is, it may or may not be literal, but what I will tell you, what it means for certain is that it will be a short time, it will be an intense time. Uh, you may die. Three minutes, is that very long? Not very long, is it? How about three minutes underwater, holding your breath? That's a little more intense, isn't it? So God is saying, I'm sovereign. I know exactly what, what's happening. This is going to be intense. It's going to be short, though. It's going to be intense, but it's going to be short, and I'm going to be with you. can't you just get rid of this pain? Get rid of this trial? Get rid of this difficulty? Nope. I love you too much to let you get out of it. You need this. You're going to go through it. So he says, don't fear. Fear is an interesting thing because if you're a believer, if you're the elect, fear means you love God and you trust God. If you are earth dweller, you fear because you know judgment is coming and you know you're guilty. That's the difference between fear for believers and unbelievers. Remember, why, why do we not fear? Because we're dealing with him who is the first and the last. He knows the past he knows the present, no matter how you might feel about it, 
and he knows the future. Jesus said, I will make sure I lose none of my own. If you belong to him, there is nothing that Satan, other people, circumstances, nothing can stop you from completing the work that God has for you and me. Then he gets even more specific. He says, be faithful unto death. Do we understand what that means? I don't know what that means. I like to believe that if I were confronted with death, that I would say, God, I trust you. But you know what? What I'll tell you, I don't trust myself. I know that in any moment, in a, in a moment of weakness, I could do just about anything. I could deny my Lord. but I know I won't because the one I follow is faithful. He will be with me and he won't allow that to happen. So he says, you will get the crown of life. So here, I know you're saying, when I was reading this, I'm like, great. I'm suffering. I'm going through poverty I'm going through slander. I'm going through tribulation. You're going to give me a crown. I don't need a crown. I need relief. But the crown he's talking about is a crown of victory. This is a term used in either athletic contests or military uh, achievement. So when you finish the race, when you have conquered in war, you get the crown. So what it's saying is when you finish the race in this life, you will get the imperishable crown of eternal life. Hallelujah! Would you rather win the lottery? Don't say it out loud. You know, winning the lottery may be great, but if you get a diagnosis that you're going to die in a week, what, what would it matter? It wouldn't matter a bit. But if the Lord of heaven and earth offers you the crown of eternal life, what is that worth? Is that worth whatever you could possibly go through in this life? And say amen, absolutely. And so this is what the Lord Jesus is saying to us this morning. Uh, there was a bishop of Smyrna, his name was Polycarp, and he was a disciple of John. It's kind of interesting because it makes me wonder, maybe he was the messenger that this was written to, but he was a faithful follower of the Lord Jesus. And when he was in his 90s, 90s, they asked him to recant his faith. This is like AD 168. This is like 70 years after Revelation was written. And he refused to bow the knee to the emperor. And no doubt the Jews were 
were uh, goading this on, but he refused to recant. And for that, they burned him alive. Now, what, what you need to know is that these people of the synagogue of Satan, in order to help in the process of burning, burning uh, Polycarp alive, they gathered wood on the Sabbath. Anyone see a problem with that? This is like the Jews who said at the trial of Jesus, we have no king except Caesar. They were of the synagogue of Satan. That is a powerful thing. So what is, this, what is the Spirit saying to us this morning? To him who has ears, let him hear what the Spirit says to the churches. What is God saying to us this morning? I hope he's saying something to you, because he's saying something to me. If you go to the next slide, um, wait, I thought persecution ended back in the early days. I hate to tell you, get your head out of the sand. Persecution is happening right now. We need, to, we need to pay attention. It's one thing to sit in the pews and worry about, man, what am I going to have for lunch? I can't decide what I'm going to have for lunch after church. What if someone said, hey, just deny Jesus and I won't kill you? What would you do? Oh, that's a whole that's a whole nother thing. Jesus said, "Do not be afraid of those who kill the body but cannot kill the soul. Instead, fear the one who can destroy both soul and body in hell." Persecution's a reality in this world. Persecution is coming to to this country as well. I don't know exactly the timing of it. It's already started. John 15, Jesus said, If the world hates you, know that it hated me before it hated you. If you were of the world, the world would love you as its own. But because you are not of the world, uh, but I chose you out of the world, therefore the world hates you. I thought the world would love us because we love Jesus. No, the world's going to hate us because it hated him. So you might ask, why Smyrna? Why why were these gentlemen born into a hostile Islamic environment where their lives are threatened? Well, you could ask the same question. Why were you so blessed to be born in the United States or to live here? I don't know. What I do know is that Jesus is God and he didn't make any mistakes. And he's sovereign. And wherever you and I happen to be right now, he is with us. I hope you feel encouraged by that. 
I know it encouraged me. So it says what we should really fear is, if you go to the next slide, we should fear the second death. Not death in this life. I mean, there's a lot of things that cause fear in this world, doesn't, isn't there? I'd say a lot of them are legitimate. Probably most of them are not legitimate. But the, Lord's, the, the word of God says consistently, fear the second death. You don't want to go there. So we're going to, later in Revelation 20, it says, it's very clear what the second death is. It says, Then I saw a great white throne, and him who sat on it, from whose presence earth and heaven fled away, and no place was found for them. And I saw the dead, great and small, standing before the throne, and the books were opened. And another book was opened, which is the book of life. And the dead were judged from the things which were written in the books according to their deeds. Does anyone want to be judged according to your deeds? I can tell you I don't want to be judged according to my deeds because my deeds would say, send me to hell. Send me to the lake of fire. I want to be judged according to my Lord's deeds because he loved me. He loved us enough to die, live a perfect life, and was raised again. That's what I want to be judged for. I don't want to be judged for my deeds. And the sea gave up the dead which were in it, and death and Hades gave up the dead which were in it. Oh, I thought if you died in the ocean that they couldn't find you. No, God will find you. There's no place you can go. And they were judged, and every one of them according to their deeds. Then death and Hades were thrown into the lake of fire. This is the second death the lake of fire. And if anyone's name was not found written in the book of life, he was thrown into the lake of fire. This is what, you sh you, this is what people should fear. Not man nor anything in this world, but fear the judgment of God. Can you imagine standing before the holy throne of God being judged for your actions? That would be a terrifying thing. So I want to close uh, with the last slide. So how do we do this? How do we conquer? How do we win the victory? How do we finish the race? Well, we do it by the power of Jesus. We don't do it in ourselves. Why? Revelation 19 and 11. Then I saw heaven open, and behold, a white horse. The one sitting on it is called Faithful and True. The Lord Jesus is faithful and he is true. And he will keep his word. You can count on it. Faith in Jesus, Revelation 14, 12. Here is a call for the endurance of the saints. Those who keep the commandments of God and their faith in Jesus. You want to be a conqueror? Endure, obey, continue. Don't give up. Trust in the word of God. Revelation 21.5 says, 
Also, he said, write this down, for these words are trustworthy and true. Amen? Amen. That was pretty wimpy, by the way. Uh, (laughs) Again, trusting in Jesus. They will make war on the Lamb, and the Lamb will conquer them. For he is the Lord of lords and the King of kings, and those with him are called chosen and faithful. We're going to hear later about Laodicea. Laodicea had the exact opposite problem of Smyrna. They had a reputation for being alive, but Jesus said they were dead. In fact, he wanted to vomit them out of his mouth. And I hold on to 1 Corinthians 10, 13, because it says, No temptation has overtaken you that is not common to man. God is faithful. He will not let you be tempted beyond your ability. Not what you think your ability is, but beyond your real ability. But with temptation, he will also provide the way of escape that you may be able to endure it. And I'll close with 1 Peter 4.19. He says, Therefore, let those who suffer according to God's will. Wait a minute. It's God's will for us to suffer? Yeah. Sometimes it's God's will for us to suffer. According to God's will, entrust their souls to a faithful creator while doing good. That is life. That is eternal life. These are the words of him who is the first and the last. He is the Alpha. He is the Omega. And he knows each of us by name. Let's pray. Heavenly Father, I thank you for your goodness. I thank you that you don't deal with us according to what we deserve, but you heap grace upon grace towards us. Lord, I know there are some people in this room that are going through some difficult trials. Some of these trials may even be life and death. Lord, you don't explain why we have to go through these things, but you promise to never leave us nor forsake us. Lord, I believe you have spoken to us this morning through your word. Help us to hear what your spirit is saying to us because you love us, you care for us, and you know us by name. For this we give you thanks. In Jesus' name I pray, amen. Thank you for listening. For more information about Creekside Bible Church, please visit our website at creeksidebiblechurch.com.